Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's another episode of Not Too Taboo. I'm here with my lady love, the boss lady, my super hot mama, Gretchen Christine Rossi. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. You know, I kind of stand in the shower each day prior to uh, Oh, Lordy, this show. is going to go really bad. Whatever you're about to say. You're going to talk to people about your standing in the shower. So now everyone has a visual of <laughs> like you just standing in the shower naked. <laughs> I, I start to think about your the open. How I should describe what? you. That you know, how should so I describe Gretchen wrong. today? On every level. She's, I'm in the shower and I think about the open. Of the show. Open to the show. <laughs> no, that just sounds really wrong, babe. <laughs> well, you didn't have to take it to the gutter, Gretchen. I was trying to give you a compliment. I was trying to go like, I'm standing there in a hot shower. Uh -huh. I'm waking up and I'm thinking about all the amazing things you've done for our daughter this week. And oh, you're such sweet. a good partner. And how should I open the show and give you some props for being such the incredible woman that you are? Okay, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> anyway, so I'm standing in the shower. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, so excited to have you here and uh, very excited about today's show. Me too. Uh, this individual uh, that is coming to uh, share with us today has been, uh, he's been a blessing in our life, I'd say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. We, Inspiration. How long have we known him now? I don't remember. I want to. At how least, did we meet him? At least three three to four years, somewhere around there. We'll have to ask him. But I, I think Do you remember it's how like, we met him? Hmm. I, don't. I just had a party, I think, <laughs> right? I just I had think. a party. I don't know, through mutual friends, but. You know, I love, love, love stories like this. These, this is my favorite kind of stories to share with all of you guys, the listeners. I think so many of you out there, um, you know, you, we've all just been through stuff in our life, right? And right now, l let's just call it what it is. We're going through shit, like all of us. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? life is hard right now in 2020. I mean, like, we need the reset button in 2020. Um, just so many things going on and it won't stop. Like no, every, every month. week there's like, a tragedy, it's something just, happening. It's so hard. I mean, we just found out about Naya, Kelly Preston. There was something else that came up that I heard about that I was like, what is happening? Like, why will things not stop? But anyways, my point of telling you this is that during times of, of heartache and stress and just crap, it's always great to hear inspirational stories because it gives you hope. It lets you feel like, you know what, even when things are really, really bad, things can change. And that's what I love about our friend and his story is that he truly hit rock, rock, rock. And I'm talking, when you we talk rock bottom, you guys were talking yeah. rock bottom. It's kind of the little pebbles under the big rocks. <laughs> it's like, it was rock bottom. And you know what's really cool about, about his story? Is I want to I want to share this. I love this part. So we had no clue anything about his his what I what I'm going to call his prior life, right? Because we just knew him um, as who he is today. And just to do a little intro of him, you guys have probably seen him on HGTV's Flip or Flop. He's one of their main contractors on that show, and you just would never know that he had a past or had struggled with stuff in his life. And I remember sitting down with him and and one of my family members was struggling with addiction. And I sat down with him and I just started talking to him about that. And he opened up and he started sharing his story. And to the point where I was like making him cry and I, and I was crying and we were just like, and he shared so much with us. And I'm just so honored and so proud of him and so grateful that he not only shared a story with me and he helped me and he actually helped my family member get the help that they needed. And now they are sober and doing so well. And he continues to take his mess and turn it into his message. And now he's taken it to a whole new level and he has written a book and he is literally 
Like I'm going to continue to take my, you know, struggle and help other people. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And I'm so honored and thrilled that he's here today, you guys. He's a designer and a general contractor who works who works magic on properties in need of some TLC. He's also also an author with a new book out called Get Out Alive. Please welcome our dear friend, Steve Cedarquist. Yay! Wow, yeah, well, oh, the fans are fans are glad to have you here. Steve. Was, you that? Fans are glad to have you here, buddy. I'm glad to say all that fanfare. I love that, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Remind me to send gifts later today. Well, you know, Gretchen knows my favorite thing about my soundboard is my uh, my sound effects. She loves the sound uh, effects. I, they're all different colors, and I just like to push the buttons. Nice. I like it. Oh, you mean so that hey, was Steve, a, what, that wasn't real cheers. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Steve, remind me yeah. how we met. Do you remember how we met? I do. I remember exactly how we met. Um, you, okay, we were at we went to an Amari magazine release party at the hangar in That's Fullerton um, back in, oh. um, it was like November of 2017. Oh my gosh, he remembers How the, the hell date? did you remember that? I love this. No, I do. <laughs> and, uh, and I was talking, I forgot, I think it was George. And he and yeah. he was like, oh my gosh, you gotta meet, you know, you gotta meet her, gotta meet her, not a meter. So I was like, okay. Oh, I remember you were in your neck brace. Hey, I, I oh I that's that right, neck he was in the neck fashionably. Brace. Remember, everybody thought it was a fashion statement because I knew I had to go to this event. And then my Melinda, my surgeon was like, please don't go for a ride in the helicopter, please. And I remember oh my God. buying a black neck brace. I remember I put a bow tie on it and you were like. I remember. I remember yeah. because when you came up, I remember this party now. When you came up and you were in this neck brace and I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? And like you were telling me everything. And then Steve's like, I mean, not Steve, George, who's the owner of Amari Magazine was like, this is my friend, Steve. He's he's the contractor on HGTV. And I was like, oh my God, what happened to you? <laughs> and you were just rocking it though. Like you were just I, owning it with that neck brace. And I'm awesome. so glad you guys figured that out because there was someone else at that party mm -hmm. from uh, the mixed martial arts world who, who looks a little bit like Steve. Oh, really? Somebody said that handsome bald man. Yeah. And and then I saw him in the neck brace. Uh -huh. And I thought he was the MMA guy. <laughs> oh, so you I'm like, oh, I think, I think I got thrown to the mat in, <laughs> in a match. And he sprained his neck and he showed up at the party. That's so I thought he was funny. that guy. That's dedication that guy, right there. Who is that guy? He, you know who I'm talking about, Steve. He kind of looks like you a little bit. Which one? Tito? No, no, not, not Tito Ortiz. No, the guy that ran that organization where they were doing all the private MMA matches and all that stuff. Oh, he was, at, he was uh, there that night. Another good-looking bald gentleman. Might have been Schwen or, I mean, there's so many of them. You know, I don't know. We just got done. To, we were talking MMA today because uh, we ran into Tito today earlier. And uh, we, I was telling him I'm doing Raphael's house now, the Santos, the, the MMA champion. And, you know, it's, it's funny. It's just kind of a small little circle there. It is a small circle. It is a small well, circle. Well, speaking of, speaking yes. of, you're talking about all the amazing, fabulous things that you're doing today. I mean, most people know you as the TV personality um, on HGTV's Flip or Flop. You worked uh, hand in hand with Christina and Tarek um, as one of the head contractors with them. How many seasons were you on Flip or Flop? Uh, five. Five seasons. So I'm sure many of you know and remember him from that show. But Here's the interesting part about Steve, and the thing that I just love about him is he is the most generous kind, will take his shirt off his back to help anybody and everyone around him. And I mean, I remember during the very beginning of COVID, he was one of the very first friends that called us and was like, 
you have a baby. What do you need? Like, I don't want you going to the grocery store. I don't want you going out. I have masks. I have gloves. I have, I can pick up diapers. I can sanitize it for you. I can yep. literally like he did anything and everything for us. He He's like, I'll pick up your groceries. I'll make sure it's all sanitized. Like it's hard in today's day and age to find friends that do that. And not only, not only, first of all, make the call. Second of all, do what they say they're going to do and show then actually up. follow through and show up and do it. And he did. He did. Showed up with gloves. He showed did. up with masks. He really did. Well, we couldn't so, get masks. What, and he showed up with an air purifier for Skylar's bedroom. Yeah, he did. And he helped with the electricity. He He's like major, major friend props right there. Yeah, is what he's Steve the man. But, but beyond that, Steve, what I think is so cool about you is that you've had obviously great success. You have so many great things going on in your life. But you would have never known that you had such a turbulent path um, before reaching, you know, this current level of success that you have. So I really want to dive into that. And I want to talk about, you know, really what your past was and how you came out of that and how you survived that and how you, um, you know, what kept you going during some of the lowest points of your life. That's a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. So how do we want to start this, babe? Well, I think Steve should give us a little background. I mean, tell us tell us a little bit about what the road to addiction looked like. Because I don't think, I, I want to say that it's not something that happened to you when you were younger or a teen. Uh, it happened to you more in your adult life. And um, that, that's what I remember. And it's, it's, it's so fascinating to me um, how so easily people can be thrown off track mm -hmm. because of the, the addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, Steve, uh, start start us off where um, where it happened in your life. Well, I was born a small child in it. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't open that door, Gretchen. <laughs> Once upon a time, no. You know, it's so funny because I was always like the sports guy in school, football, whatever it took. Ne never baseball, but football. And that that's a whole other story with the baseball. But um, yeah, I was at a party. I was in college and I went to a party and I was hanging around all these cops, firemen. You guys were my friends. We'd go to the river together and do all this fun stuff. And we were, I remember being at a party and they were like, everybody, even including the girl I was with. And they're like, oh, you got to try this. I'm like, well, what is this? Or it's, it's, it's called cocaine. And I'm like, cocaine. I go, I've heard of it. I've never, you know, I never tried. They go, oh, you'll, you won't get drunk and you'll just really enjoy yourself. Well, Okay, so here it goes. If you are involved in your house or your family has an addiction problem and you've grown up with that, you obviously get what's an addictive behaviors. You know what I mean? It's just an innate something you get with inside of you. And um, I tried it and I didn't put it down for seven years. And wow. wow, within that seven years, it was like hell on wheels. I'll put it that way. Wow. That's scary. I mean, like literally that's, and that's such a, that's such a like testament to anyone out there that's like, oh, I'm just going to try something one time. I mean, it literally takes one time and you can become massively addicted to something yep. within seconds. <laughs> I mean, that's just scary to think that that can happen. So what age were you were in college when that happened, right? I was working at a nightclub. I was a bouncer at a nightclub. And I was yeah. working, um, I was going to school in the morning. So I'd get off like three in the morning and I would go to school. Like, I think my first class was like at 10 and uh, I met this girl in college and that's where I met her. And that's where we uh, got together. And then, um, uh, 
yeah, and that's where things uh, kind of all started to kind of spiral. I had I had great ideas, but you know, I will say this though. I mean, people can look at your life and you can think, you know, and that's what I wrote the book about because I, I think that too many people get stereotyped and they convince themselves based on stereotypical things and like, especially like, you know, going to jail and all these crazy things that happen all related to the drugs and all that. But I think they, they get down on themselves. It's, it's just like, you know, people that I, I, I talk to a lot of people every day, as you well know, and I, and a lot of them are like, Oh guy, poor me. I've had this happen. It's like, you know what? Screw you, dude. I mean, here's the deal. You, you have to have a better mindset. Your mindset is to be like, yes, that mistake that I made was in the past. What am I going to do for the future and make up for this and change the direction I go in my life? It's up to you. It's not up to anybody else. Right. Right. So, okay. So tell me, because there's so much to dive into with your book, but before we go there, let's just continue on the, on the backstory. So, so you got addicted to cocaine. Mm -hmm. What, what from that stage, what happened next? Because there's so many things that happened throughout this process. I mean, you know, you got to a point where you literally ended up in jail. Mm -hmm. You ended up losing your children. Um, I mean, just anything that could have been like the worst case scenario for you seemed like it happened. So tell us a little bit about that. What happened after college? Um, well, it, I actually dropped out of college because I uh, it was too busy using drugs and wow. college got in the way. And um, something about hmm, studying or doing drugs. I, I don't know. It was kind of a hard pick right. at the time. Um, you know, it, um, it, it kind of went crazy because I, I, I started getting fired from all these different jobs I had. I went back into sales. I was back into construction and I just kept getting fired. And, um, it was just a, it was bad, you know? So I got, what had happened was I'd be, I became friends with a, a, a couple of guys that were involved in this, um, pretty high powered gang in or in LA and orange County and just business wise, we were talking business and they were like, Oh, you know, you can, you do this, you can make this kind of money. So I'm thinking, well, I'm, I need to feed my family and I can get free drugs. So I think I should just do this. So I'm like, yeah, I should do this. Well, they took that as like, you want to be in the gang. So I got jumped in to a gang. What does that mean for people that don't understand? I got my ass kicked and you get beat up to get joined in this gang. It's, it's the, like an initiation. You get, uh, you get beat up and then you, um, you just, you're in this gang. And I was really good friends with the president of the gang. Um, really good friends actually. And he, I don't know, you know, it's crazy. Cause we, next thing you know, we're, it's, it's like, I, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. So I, I had that mentality and then, but I used it to, to not the betterment of the world, I should say, you know, with drugs and you know, right. and crazy stuff that go, everything that goes along with drugs, you know, that's right. what I ended up, um, you know, starting to do. So when you say that you wanted to take care of your family after college, did you get married and have kids then? Or when did that happen? I did. Actually, I got married. Um, we we ended up um, connecting uh, my my wife, my ex-wife now, but my wife, Patricia, we ended up uh, getting married, you know, got together at Reading College. And literally within probably three months, we got married. She was pregnant. So we got married, thought it was the right thing to do and, you know, moved in together and started our little family. So you're in, so you were in college, you get married, you uh -huh. get pregnant, 
Mm-hmm. And then you get hooked on drugs and then you drop out of school yep. and you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm losing all of my jobs and now I have to take care of my family. So then you get hooked up with the wrong group, which happens to be a gang. Mm-hmm. You get beat up to get in the gang. And now all of a sudden you find yourself that you are an entrepreneur of selling drugs. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and lots yeah. of other things. Right. Lots yeah. of other what do they say? Safarious? What's the word? What's the word? Fasarious. That's a very big word. It's fasarious activities. Fasarious. What does that mean? What is that? Yeah, where are we going with that? Yeah, <laughs> what is that. that word? Whatever the source over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay, so now you're part of a gang. Yes. Now at, at uh what age was this about? What do you remember? Um 26. Yeah, I think I was like 26, 27, somewhere in that neighborhood. So by age 26, you were in a gang. Yeah. You were selling drugs and doing a lot of other illegal things. Yes. And w- were you were you cognizant of the fact that what you were doing was going to be leading to a really bad path? Or did you just think, oh, this is just a period of time. It, I'm just doing this for fun. Like, what was your thought process during that time? I think, um, I think the bottom line was I was, I was very unhappy in my life, very unhappy with my marriage, very unhappy. Just everything happened so quick. And I was trying to numb the pain, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in the therapy that I've gone through and talking to therapists, it's come out that I was just, um, my ex-wife went through a lot. She was, a you know, one of nine children abandoned by their family, mm-hmm. multiple foster cares, you know, been uh, raped sexual, Mm -hmm. I mean, like you name it. So it, she didn't have, she didn't know how to be a wife or a mom and, and all that. It was really hard for her, you know? So I'm trying to keep all this together and the drugs were, were working at first to numb the pain Mm -hmm. because it it gave us something in common. It was an escape from reality. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't like I, and, and every time I got fired, I, I never took accountability. I was blamed. I was blamed the other people. I always said, oh, no, it's, it's, you know, it's them. So you were always the victim, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm totally, yeah, I'm still the victim. Yeah, I, I tell Steve, <laughs> yeah, I'm still the victim. Still a victim. But, you know, it's interesting because that is, that is a very um, common thing that people that are addicted to something, that's always what it is. It's always everyone else's fault. That's what I've noticed, at least with with the people in my life that have an addiction. It's always, everybody else does it to them. They're always the victim. It's, you always find a way to, or they always find a way to make you feel sorry for them, you know? And so, um, so I, I'm interested in that. Like, uh, how did you, how do you get to a point in your life or at what point in your life did you say, I no longer am the, like, I can no longer play the victim card. Like, what was that moment of realization for you? Uh. That's a really, that, that's a good one. Cause I even getting arrested and, um, I had lost it leading up to my arrest. I had lost my home. I lost, um, gosh, I, I lost everything in my home. Actually, they came and repossessed my home and they boarded it up and I lost er- all my possession. I lost everything. Okay. So let's back up. How did that happen? When, where, why did you all of a sudden get arrested? Why did that happen? Well, that was, well, I'd been arrested. I get, I've probably been arrested. There was more than one. Oh, I've been arrested a bunch. I used to be, okay, I was public enemy number one in the city of Cypress, California, where I lived. And um, 
they would, I literally, there was a fight down the street from my house one time and I came back from the grocery store. I was driving. They pulled me over and they said, yeah, there was a fight by your house. We think you had something to do with it. We're going to arrest you. I'm like, what are you talking about? They just, they would, they would start in to mess with me. They were like, they would arrest me, take me to um, keep me in jail, take me to West court, leave me there all day. Right at the very end at six o'clock, they'd say, yeah, we're not going to press charges and you can go home now. You know, mm. and, and you know, at the time we didn't have cell phones and all that stuff that wasn't you know, part of the deal. So, you know, walking home from Westminster was a long walk. Yeah. So I ended up losing my home, moved into a motel. Um, but, you know, again, it's somebody else's fault. You know, it's the bank's fault for taking my house. It's, you know, this and that. I never wanted to take accountability and I've always wanted to push it on somebody else. It's their fault, their fault. And so I remember, you know, you're asking me when it all kind of realized that things were like changing and it wasn't, right. it wasn't my doing. It was the police department's doing where I was in my motel room with my two kids now and a pregnant wife, you know, laying, they're all laying behind me. Somebody started kicking in my door. I'm thinking, oh crap, I'm going to get robbed because that was, that was common. So I had a, I used to carry a shotgun, a sawed off shotgun in the small of my back. I mean, I'm on the, I would like pull it out over my shoulder. Seriously? I, a shotgun? Oh yeah. I had a shotgun and I also carried a 357 Magnum underneath my arm. And is, and that was totally like illegally carrying it, right? Like I, you weren't I, like. I drove a stolen car. Just the fact that he sawed off the barrel is illegal. Well, but that's what I'm, that's <laughs> why I'm asking. Like, like meaning you just basically at this point, it didn't care. You didn't care what the law was. You just did whatever you needed to do to survive basically. Right. You know, what's weird is I, I drove around the stolen car for that was given to me and I just, I didn't think nothing of it. I mean, wow. I started with a screwdriver. I didn't think I, my, your mind is just, okay. When you're using, you're not thinking <laughs> real, uh, like with reality, you're thinking in this, like you're drug and right. self. So you're not thinking like a normal, like you and I were thinking right now. It's like, dude, what were you thinking? Um, right. These are nefarious activities, Steve. Nefar oh there you go. Nefarious it's activities. Nefarious. I like that. I'm, I'm going to yeah, use that word. Yeah. It's nefarious. I told Gretchen um, I had to look it up because I, I knew I was onto something. <laughs> it's wicked or criminal. The nefarious it. activities organized crime syndicates. Can you redo the book so you can add that word to Steve? I, no, I, I Steve Cedarquist, nefarious. My, change my name and his phone to nefarious. And now, <laughs> that's when actually I, a really book, cool name. It's book number two. It's Steve Cedarquist, nefarious. <laughs> Steve Cedarquist, Mr. Nefarious. That's yeah. funny. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, so, we no, cut you off. Anyway, the, no, it's cool. So the, you know, I'm thinking I'm getting robbed and I'm like, oh shit, you know, I'm to myself. So I remember the door flying open. Finally, they got it kicked open. And there's like, it looked like something like the three stooges. There's all these cops heads with guns pointing at me and I've got a gun pointed at them. Cause I'm thinking it's, you know, I didn't know who it was. They didn't identify themselves. So, um, Oh, that's scary. Like, it's like you have a gun. Kid, like, well, his kids are in the room. Kids in oh. the room. I, well, I, I tell you right now, I owe my kids my life because I'm thinking I'm tough guy. I'm like tough guy. Like, I, and they're screaming to put my gun down. And I'm I'm screaming back, put yours down. Yeah. Again, oh. it's that whole not thinking like clearly. Thing, you know? Oh, my so, gosh. What a scary moment. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you, probably you know, if, the kids, if the kids weren't there. They and he had dead. pointed dead. a gun at the cops, they would have shot him. Oh, I would be. They would have, I, they would have killed him. Yeah, I'd be I, I'd be fertilizing. The, the kids right being behind him as innocent bystanders is the only reason those cops didn't pull the trigger. There you go. Tell me I'm wrong. No, wow. they told me that. They told me straight up that. 
So because you had a gun pointed at them, they would have just probably like, wait, wait. Like, you draw them? a weapon on a cop, they will shoot you. Oh, yeah. I really? would have been shot immediately. And the only reason I think I wasn't shot, I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah, whether the kid's fine or not, you're right. But there's a lot of adrenaline flowing on, on my part, their part, because, you know, you don't know. They don't know what's going to happen. But I remember one familiar face of one cop who was there who was I he'd always been cool to me. And he'd always be the guy that would like stop when I'm, you know, digging in trash cans and, you know, trying to find goods to sell at the swap meet because I think that's a good idea. Don't ask me why. But um, I guess it was old behavior from when I was a kid. But um, they, um, he would always tell me like, hey, dude, when are you going to get your shit together? When are you like, what are you doing? Dude? Mm. You're, you got kids. What are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? He'd be like, dude, you know what you're doing. You know, what are you doing? And wow. it's it's so funny because I he told me, he's like, dude, put the gun down, dude. And I'm like, and I, I knew at that point that it was like, yeah, it's over. I mean, I thought, well, thought it was over. So I put the gun down. They come in. They bum rush me. You know, they put me in handcuffs. They're actually raiding. There was like probably 30 cops and they were raiding other rooms because there was other drug people from the gang that lived there that were doing drugs as well as me. You know, doing drugs, selling drugs, being a part of it. And they had undercover informants living in there. And it was a whole big mm. case they'd set up. So they take me downstairs, they throw me in the bus, and then I see my kids being escorted out, you know, and I'm like, mm. where are my kids going, you know? And I remember the one cop, he's just like, well, dude, you just lost your kids, dude. What are you doing? You're an idiot, you know? What are you, what are you doing? So I, I, that, that was hard right off. I, but I was still in my induced, high-induced state, so I was like, well, I could probably bullshit them and get my kids back. I can get out of jail like I have before. Yeah, mm. I, can, I can make this happen. Now it's all their fault. I can make this happen. So wait, at that point, did you, when they did the raid, did you have like a bunch of drugs in the room with you? Is that why they were able to take you in? Or like what what was the issue there? Well, the you know, the the gun on a cop was was huge. Um Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a big Well, because he's that's, a person of interest for no, but, whatever. But so I guess, that's why they came in. But I the guess room. what I'm getting at is like, so the cops are raiding all of you guys in these rooms, but it's because you guys had drugs with intent to sell, correct? Like that's the reason that they were allowed to do that. No, they already had us on, um, they already had us on, on sales possessions. They already, they already had, you know, they had already made buys. We had already made under, they already made undercover buys. So they already had a case. Okay. What added to it was when they came in my room, I had a loaded firearm. I had, um, you know, I had had child endangerment, like all these things probably. Yeah. All that came up. Yep. Everything of that. So how many charges did you have against you when you went to jail? Nine. Nine charges. Nine felonies. It's a nice number. It's under 10. <laughs> That's what I was <laughs> At thinking. least it's not a two-digit one. Um, Stolen property, so, you name it. Yeah. So you go, okay, so they take you away. You're still high. You go to jail. Mm-hmm. And when you're in jail, I mean, I assume at this point you can't, you don't have access to drugs in that moment. So are you coming down off of that high? Um, I came down, I was put in IRC. I was a red bander in Orange County. What's IRC? Um, it's inmate release center. It's a, um, it's a glass cell. It's like a glass module. They don't put you in the general population because of your, depends on your affiliations and, and all that. They, they put you in a single man cell. So it's a a single man cell guards in the middle. When you say your affiliation, meaning because you were part of this like badass gang, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. people were basically scared of you at this point. <laughs> well, no, people were afraid that rival gangs would just, they'd kill each other. Yeah. 
But that's what I'm saying. Like people are afraid of what could happen at that yeah. point. Yeah. So so you're in the cell by yourself. Or, or did you have to go through like a detox time? Like because that, that's that's a horrible thing to go through too. Yeah, I um, I did. Yeah, I, all I remember, you know, for the first three or four days was sleeping, laying on the floor, laying on this concrete, concrete floor, cuddle, you know, kind of in a fetal position. Um, and I remember going to court. I mean, I mean, they have to arraign you within seventy-two hours. So I remember them dragging me to court, and um, I remember like I'm handcuffed to this other guy, and they come down there, and I'm and I'm there. I hear them giving other people like, well. With, this is blah, 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 blah. We're recommending six months or eight, you know, whatever they're recommending. I remember they get to me and the, and the DA was like, yeah, we're recommending nine years in prison. Wow. And how do you plead? And I'm like, well, it kind of sobered me up real quick. And I was like, oh shit. Um, not guilty, your honor. <laughs> and like, yeah. You know? Um, and it was funny because, you know, I fought this case for three or four months, but I used drugs for the first two and a half months. Wait, December, January, February, March. Um, December, yeah, all the way through March, I used drugs. We had a drug attorney that would come in, you know, and um, he wasn't even representing us, but you're legally allowed to have an attorney show up and he would bring us drugs. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In jail. Wait a minute. There's a lot of drugs in jail. Wait a minute. What? You have a drug attorney? What? I don't even understand this. How do you get the attorney? Where do you have the money for the attorney to begin with? I didn't have any money. That's my question. How did you get the attorney to begin with? He was a drug attorney. He was one. I, he was in the gang. Part he, of the gang. He was in the gang. And so the guy smuggles drugs in mm -hmm. and gives you all drugs and you're doing drugs still. And how do they, how do, don't, aren't they monitoring this? Do they not ever check this, look at it, see it? Do they turn know. a blind eye? Do they I, get paid off? No, I don't think it's all that. I think it's, you know, you don't, I mean, at the time it was a little bit different because you really didn't know. You know, I mean, this is an attorney. So you're who is thinking who in there like yeah. you know, attorneys coming through. I'm here to see my client, blah, blah, blah. You know, they don't they're not going to say, oh, you need to search everything. Maybe they do now. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I doubt he's going to be subjected to a strip search, you know, and being like, you know, hey, dude, we there's don't an trust assumption. You. Yeah, there's yeah, an assumption an attorney, because he's an attorney. You know, that he's, civil rights. he's not. A, I don't know. I, I don't know the details. All I know is that he would bring it up, get high and like. There's, I mean, here's the deal. There's nothing worse than getting high period because it's like, there's no end in sight. It's just like this, it's right. like you're a, you're a, you're a uh, what, what do you call them? Like a, what are those things on the wheel? Like a rat on the wheel or like a hamster, hamster on the wheel. wheel. You're not yeah. going anywhere. You're just, you're doing the motions and you're just kind of looking around like, yeah, look at me. You're just looking for your next high. Every time you're turning around, you're looking for your next high. Yeah. It, it really is just, um, it, it's crazy. Wow. So um, you want me to go into the whole how I got clean in jail thing? Well, yeah, now, so here's the, here's the thing. I What's really powerful to me, um, because I think the bottom line here, there's a lot of drugs in jail and people don't realize that. Mm -mm. It gets smuggled in by friends, that. family, attorneys, apparently. There, there's a lot of drugs in jail. And I think Steve could probably attest to that much more than you would assume. Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember part of your story, Steve, that I found so fascinating. It's you sitting on the bus. Yeah, you you, being, he, you, you heading towards about. arraignment and seeing the kids. Yeah. At Orangewood. Tell me about that. Well, I had a, I, all within a week's period of time, a little under a week, I remember being in that jail cell loaded and I'm like cleaning my cell with toilet paper, you know, being a little tweaky and like, oh, no, I got a clean cell. Ah. 
you know, and I go in there and I'm writing all these letters and I'm like, I got this little teeny golf. And so I keep shaving with my razor, like, you know, cause it's wearing down so quickly. And I remember the guard comes up to my door to give me at 4am and he goes to give me my food and he just looks at me and he's shaking his head. And I'm like, what, what? And he goes, dude, you're an idiot. He goes, do you not really? He goes, you, he says, do you, what are you in for? And, and I'm like, well, drug charges. He goes, oh, of course. And he goes, and you're still doing drugs, obviously. You've got like nine letters here. Your cell's cleaner than probably the whole jail. And he says, and for what? And he says, and really the letters going out, who really cares? Do you think anybody cares? <clears throat> and I'm like, well, yeah, probably. And he's like, yeah, I don't think so, dude. How many letters do you get? And I wasn't getting any letters back. Mm. You know, he was right. So it was like, you know, again, blaming him. Oh, screw him. What does he know? Blah, blah. And then it hit me. I was like, wow. You know, it was like kind of like my garden of sent me a little bit where it was just, it hit me like that. And then literally like a day or two later, I'm on a bus. We go pick up other prisoners to go to court because we're being tried in central court. And they had to pick you up at your, you know, there's like three or four different jails in Orange County. And um, I remember we're picking up the prisoners and we're coming out of Orange, I mean, of uh, Theo Lacey Jail right by the block there. And I remember the bus stops. They're doing some work between Orangewood and Juvenile Hall because you got the jail, Orangewood, where my kids were at, and Juvenile Hall. And I remember the bus stopped. I look over and there's my youngest son. He was 16 months old with my daughter kind of by him, just standing there. They were all the other kids were playing and he was just like looking like he had lost like the despair in his face and his body. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed the guy next to me and I go out of the window and I the, the window only goes down about three inches and I'm screaming at his name and he comes running over and he lifts his hands up to the fence like daddy take me pick me up. Mm. Oh God. I I still like I remember I literally my mind like it was yesterday. Mm. And I remember it being like the purposely the bus driver was got me off the bus last and everybody was gone in and he kept me on the bus for a minute till everybody cleared. And he pulled me off the bus and he pulled me aside. He was like, look, I don't know what the F you did. He says, but watching what was happening there, which was appeared your son. He said, you need to, you need to fix this and make this right for him. You're a big boy. You can handle yourself, but he is an innocent child. Right. And I just, um, that was the beginning of me like saying, you're right. I'm an idiot. I I've made some horrible, horrible mistakes and I didn't take into account the innocent lives that I was affecting. Right. So I, um, I decided to change my life. I remember going back from court that day. I wrote the judge a letter, George Card- judge Cardenas. I remember him very well. And I just said, give me what you're going to give me. I, and I explained to him what I wanted to do. I said, you know, I'm not a bad guy. I'm, I have a heart and I, I want to be a dad. I want to be a parent again. I, I want to make this right. I've never had good role models growing up. I really want to make this right. And so I remember going to court like two weeks later. And I remember the judge telling me, pulled me up, pulled me up independently with nobody else in the courtroom, had an empty courtroom with just my attorney, the DA, and just said, look, I read your letter. And I think your heart is in the right place. We really appreciate what you wrote. Um, I'm willing to give you a sentence right now of four years. We take it. And still being the smart ass that I am. And I'm like, well, how about two? Can we go with two? He looks at me and he goes, are you freaking serious right now? <laughs> oh, my God. All right, I'll take the two. So I mean the four. 
So he, I gave me, I got sentenced to four years in state prison. Wow. And um, yeah, so that was the beginning of me, um, you know, wanting to get my life straightened out. So you, did you serve all four years? No, I escaped. No, I'm just kidding. I, um, I'm still <laughs> I just don't do jail. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I did two, I did two out of the four. Wow. So, but I was and able- did you, did you get out because of good behavior or just because the, the jails were full and it was, you were doing okay and they let you out? No, I, um, I got out because I served my time. I, I didn't have any problems. I got in a few fights. But I saw horrendous things in jail and I got, I, I remember, you know, talking to the fellows that were in the gang and I asked um, about four or five, maybe six months in, I said, look, I need to get jumped out. I was getting a little bit of mischief and, you know, stupid stuff, a lot of racial stuff, a lot of crazy stuff happens. And I'm just so not, I'm so not a racist person in my life anyway. So I had a real hard time with that anyway. And um, I was just like, oh God. And I was clean. So my mindset was like, my, okay, you remember that song by the talking heads? This is not my life, my house, my wife. Yeah. That was kind of yeah. my theme song. Um, I was just like, God, I, what am I doing here? I, and, you know, you'd meet some really intelligent people who'd be like, oh, dude, when I get out, I'm going to, I'm going to start cooking meth again. And I'm going to, and I'm like, what are you in for? Oh, cooking meth. Oh, <laughs> or like, I've got this check scheme. I'm going to start writing these bad checks or credit cards. I'm like, okay, cool. What are you in for? Oh, credit cards and check schemes. I'm like, oh God, revolving right. door, dude, revolving door. So I thought to myself with that mindset that I had, like, dude, I'm done. But one thing you find out in there is not everybody is for you. Because I remember getting in a, in a big riot out in prison yard and people getting shot by the, you know, the guards were shooting people. I was, it got really crazy. And I remember going to the, um, we had to all got put in ADSEG, which is um, the hole, which is a confined cell for two weeks, nobody around. I mean, it's just like dead. And um, I remember, I remember being going to my hearing and I remember the Lieutenant and the other people that were there um, were like, I'm like, Hey, I wasn't involved in this and I have no intention. I'm just going to get out, get my kids, do the right thing. And they like, you know what? Save it for somebody who cares. We don't care. We could care less. In fact, we hope you come back. It's job security for us. Wow. Wow. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, guess what? I'm not going to. That's okay. Think what you want. Peace out. So I knew that I had to do this on, you know, like this was on me. And, you know, this is the time where you dig deeper than you ever have for anything you have. You like the message I tell people. It's like, look, how bad do you want this? And they're Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, I want it. Like, no, no, no. How bad do you want this? I don't want to hear like, oh, I want to hear it. I want to feel the passion because you have to bring your, I mean, you have to dig deeper in your life, like literally bring yourself inside out if you really want it. Because if you don't, right. it is, you, you know, you're just. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, cause I, cause I can imagine even, even the, I mean, the story is so compelling to have gone through so much. Um, and, and then to even start the process of getting your kids back. Because I'm sure that was not an easy process to go through. I mean, I, I know how challenging it can be, how, how the courts can come in and they want to know, is there a safe environment where the kid's going to live? You know, are you financially capable of caring for them? I mean, that, that whole process must have taken you a couple of years. No, actually, um, it, it didn't. Actually, I, I got out on April 2nd, 94. And my last court hearing before my kids, it's called the disposition um, about whether or not they were going to be adopted was on the on the ninth. 
And I was like, huh, how am I going to do this? I literally had, I got, I got paroled. I did, was able to get out to work for a little two months before uh, my release date. So I was able to get a job. I was making five bucks an hour, painting apartments, smoking my Marlboro cigarettes, stressed out beyond belief, um, having monitored visits with my kids at social services, living in the back of my friend's camper in the back of his backyard, you know, getting yelled at every day by him. Like, you know, I rightfully so not in a bad way, but like, dude, what are you doing? You're making five bucks an hour. You're never going to get raise three right. kids on five bucks an hour. What are you thinking? Right. I'd be like, oh, I don't know. Let me have another cigarette. You know, so I, yeah. I was stressed. I didn't know what to do. And um, I was able well, to- Because you had, at this point, like people have to remember, and I know this because I've had family members go through this. When you get out of jail and when you're in this rock bottom place, you have no credit, you have no money, you can't go get a bank account because yeah. you know, like you have you have nothing to your well, name. In some cases you owe restitution. Yeah, like sometimes all kinds you of owe stuff. restitution. I mean, you, like it feels like you will never be able to get a restart. And I think that's part of the story that it's important for the listeners out there that have struggled or are going through something. Like, like the thing I liked about your story, Steve, when you were telling me about it, you were just like, "Look, I just did whatever I needed to do." Like. I worked for this guy over here and I worked I worked multiple jobs and I didn't have a nice car. I had to drive a piece of crap car for a while to get to a point of the next step and it's like as hard as those that transition was for you. You did the hard work at that time and you stayed sober, you stayed focused. You your end goal was to get your kids back and that was the thing that was that was keeping you going. And I think that's what I want people to to hear out there is that, you know, no matter how bad it is for you, no matter if your credit's bad, you have no money, you have this, you have that, like there is a way to come out of that hole and get back to a successful, great place again, right? It, ta- it, it takes patience, time, patience, perseverance, and, and definitely a mindset of like, you know, yeah, these things come up. They do. I mean, you I couldn't get a checking account. I could not. I mean, I remember being in work furlough and they gave me a check to go grocery shopping. And I'm like, I'm never gonna be able to cash this check, dude. And they're like, why? And I go, eh, just watch. So, cause I had written so many batch checks. It was just like, right. so I remember going to the register and I'm like, hand them my check and then give them my license. And literally all these bells and whistles start going off. Yeah. And I'm like, see, I told you. I mean, it yeah. was like, yeah, my credit was in the hole and I was, it was bad. I mean, but you know, it's all good because I, I remember getting my first junkie car, like you're talking about, it was a pickup truck and I bought it for 900 bucks. And I remember picking up my kids, they were in foster care living in Corona. And I remember driving up there on a Friday after work at five o'clock on the 91 freeway and bumper to bumper traffic for two hours. So mm-hmm. I could, my kids could spend a weekend with dad, you know, or I'd go up there just for the night to spend them or, you know, whatever, take them to dinner. Mm-hmm. I think at first I was just able to go take them out to dinner and then, um, you know, do something with them. I'd take them to Castle Park or something. And I remember them getting in my truck and I remember slamming my door in my truck and my window shattered on my driver's side and a glass went everywhere to them. And, oh, man. and I kind of looked at them and I go, well, that's okay. And they were like, let's yeah. do it. Let's go. Let's get the glass off me. Let's go. So they, yeah. they were the most forgiving souls ever. I'd get these letters from them all the time of like, daddy, we love you. And I'm thinking, God, mm. how can they love me? I was such a piece of crap. Yeah. But you know, in, in forgiveness, you know, it's, 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 I think you're going to be judged by your kids 
as we, as we well know, mm-hmm. judged by your kids by not necessarily what you did, but what you did to make it right from that point on. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, it's it, it's bottom line because, it, and I think that's true with anybody. You you come to them and say, "Look, I'm an idiot. I've screwed up." It's that whole immense part, but it's also comes in there like, "Look, I screwed up. I was a piece of junk." I'm not going to do it again to you. Trust me, please. Let me make this right with you. And along yeah. with the person of your word and have integrity and live above reproach, you, you should be able to gain that respect and that love back from family. and Which you did, which you did with your children. Yeah. You have wonderful well, relationships now with them. They're all older. Well, and has uh, he's shown them the way because I've, I've watched Steve. I mean, I know the success that he's made out of his previous construction company. You know, he's lines of credit. He's able to acquire multiple homes. He's yeah. doing remodels. He's working for celebrities, yeah. in, you know, in, in the construction and remodels of their homes. Like mm-hmm. he has climbed his way back up to manifesting a successful career. Right. So it's, it's very impressive. And I, I know that your kids just watching awe. It's been an incredible lesson for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, they're, they're real proud. I mean, I asked them about writing this book before I wrote it and I was like, are you okay about me kind of, and they're like, yeah, people should know because I never told people like what I went through because I didn't mm-hmm. want to be judged. I know a lot of times we get stereotyped you know, right. like, you know, like, Oh, you've been to jail. You're one of those. I better hide my purse if you're going to be in my house or right, uh, it would always right. be like when I went to family for the first couple of years, it was like that. I mean, cause you know, you go to family functions and they have like everybody put their coats and purses in a room, Yeah, you know, but, yeah. oh man, as soon as I got up to go to the bathroom, I'd be like, I, I'd have a hawk. It'd be like, oh shit, what's yeah. it going to take me I now? You know, I so know I earned, it's okay. I earned it. I'm cool. Yeah. I wasn't like, you know, I, I get, I wasn't a saint and I'm, you know, I'm not to say, cause you end up taking from people you love because they're yeah. easy targets and you're like, Oh, you're, you know, yeah. here. And so I think family, it, it's, it's super important to try to make things right. You know, and I yeah. think that I had that support with my dad. My dad was one of my biggest fans, my dad and my sister. I mean, they were crazy. I mean, they didn't get my kids because I had, my younger, my, oh, she's not younger. I call her my younger sister, but she's actually a year and a half older than me. She wanted to get my kids out of um, Hawk. And I remember I didn't like her husband. And I told her, I, I remember them telling me when they came to see me. And I'm like, if you touch my kids, I'm going to have one of the gang members come up and get you and get your, get my kids. <laughs> so mm. they were like, I'm good. He probably will. Yeah. And I'm good with that. Wow. So I had a little, I had some repairing to do. I, I, had, to, I had definitely had some fences to mend. Right. So part of part of your give back, and this is just a you know I've I've seen this kind of ingrained in your personality, uh, you know, through the opportunities we've had to interact and work together, and part of that give back was you going and speaking at a panel or a board at Hogue Hospital, right? And tell me a little bit about that and how that kind of led to this call from a median and this inspiration for your book. That was crazy. I did that for about 18 years. I had a friend who was running a panel there. It was a non, um, it wasn't a, it was a, what do you call them? It wasn't AACA, all that stuff. It was just like a panel about changing lives and recovery and, you know, about get doing it, whatever way works for you. Some people do it the church way. Some people do it a 12 step way. There's other way, other many methods yeah. you can do. It and this was part of your give back, right? You jumped in. This is part of the give back mentality that you had. Yeah, I don't, I, I just figured, so I did that. And I remember one time, uh, Dottie, who used to run the whole program, she, like a couple of months before I was actually stopped doing it because they changed the whole program and Dottie retired. And she had said, you know, you've impacted a lot of lives here. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Thank you. I mean, I you know, hope so. I'm 
she says, you know that over a hundred have died, but you talked to me. And I was like, what? Wow, I never thought of that. But, you know, so many people that I know have died of it, um, OD is because exactly what happens. You, like, like, let's say I picked up the use again today, like, especially a lot of people who do heroin, they, when they go back to using again, they go back to what they knew. And wow. your body builds up a tolerance. So you go out and use what you thought you could use, you're dead. You're done. You're like game over. Yeah. So apparently that happened a lot. And uh, so when my sister died, my sister died. Um, I sold my business in December and then I, um, my sister died in April. And I remember, um, I remember getting a call from a friend of mine's mom who had never met in my life. And she had said to me, she said, Hey, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. I, I live in Idaho. Um, I, somebody's trying to reach out to you. Are you open? And I've always been like the Christian mindset, like, Oh, really? Okay. You know, I mean, I'm, oh, okay. I was a little bit reluctant because I'm a little bit hesitant. I didn't know. And this right. person was a, this person was a medium, Steve. She's a medium. Yeah. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? You know I mean? Yeah. Why not? What do I got to lose? I, I might as well be open. I have all sorts of friends with all different faiths and religions. So she had said to me, she goes, Hey, Susan reached out to me and, and wanted me to let you know that your sister, Sam, is is okay she's she's with me right now she's she's good she's happy she's no longer in pain and we, we're good we just wanted you to know that because it was important for her to get this message to you and i was like okay cool and she goes you know who susan is i said i have no idea so i remember hanging up um, <laughs> like five minutes later i literally almost i was sitting down at the table and like i stumbled like get out of the chair susan was my mom that was her name mm. So I called her back and I'm like, Hey, wow. Um, you still have that connection with my mom? <laughs> Can you tell yeah. her I'm sorry? <laughs> like, wow. Okay. <laughs> I forgot who she was. I'm sorry. Sure was. sorry so really, so you were, mom. you were sitting there trying to like figure out who Susan was and you were thinking about, do you know a Susan? And then it hit you that that was your mom who had passed 30 years before. Yeah. About, well, 28 years. Yeah. 28 years. Yeah. Ago, close to 30. Yeah. I, you know, you mean, you know, her as mom, you know, you you're just like, Oh mom. And I don't know. I didn't call my mom, Susan. So, but it all, it all clicked as soon as, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh shit. That, oh, dude. I'm Wow. Okay. So I called her back and then she's like, dude, since you said you were open to messages, she was, I'm getting, I have people lined up around the block who want to get messages to you. I'm like, are you serious? For what? <laughs> what did I do? Did I like to do something wrong to them. I mean, like, I was thinking maybe I like during the drug days, maybe I burned them or something. I didn't know. Right. And she goes, no, these are all good people. They're all people that want to say thank you. And, and thank you for being in their life. And thank you for talking to them and taking the time out and stopping to talk to them and whatever the cases mm-hmm. were throughout your life. So I was like, okay, cool. And so I kind of, that was kind of the, my, my thinking on the book. It, it got me thinking like, well, if I was able to reach all these people that are now passed on to the other, whatever form you believe in, um, you know, next life or whatever, heaven, whatever you want to call it. Um, why can't I affect people now? Why can't I reach people now? I want, so that's my goal. It, it, my goal is to reach people right now that feel like they cannot be reached. You know what I mean? It's like, they feel like they're just, down and out or like, you know, sleeping in a, on a curb in Redlands, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) or that, or that they can't get out alive. And I think that's such a great, you know, title for your book of, of it being called get out alive. It's like, there's a way to get out 
alive and that it doesn't just have to end with your life ending and nothing, you know, it, I love, I love the title because it just, it reminds me of my family member because they were in the exact same position you were. It was like, and they use that terminology, by the way. Yeah. It's like, if I don't change my life now and I end up going back or I use again, it will, it will kill me. Yeah. Like, like I, I won't, get out, I, I won't get out alive. And I think during that time, they thought that they weren't going to get out alive. And so they just didn't care. And they just did anything and everything. Because you think there's no hope. Because there's no hope. So I love that title because it really just makes you say like, look, there is a possibility that you can get out alive and you can become successful and you can do all those things. Um, and I love that you, you know, that you feel like this book has come out at the perfect time, given the challenging times that we're living in right now, you know, and everything that everybody's going through. It's like, we all feel like right now, it's like, we all kind of have that. Are we going to get out alive of 2020? You know, yeah. it's been such a hard year. Yeah. I, isn't it right? I mean, everywhere you turn, it's, it's something, but I was, I, it's funny you were saying that. Cause I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, oh, and it was like the whole, like, oh, well, what's going to happen next. And I'm like, who, who cares? I mean, it is what it is. You can make whatever you want out of whatever situation you're in. You can like, you can, you can use the excuse like, oh, this stuff's going on. Or you can say, you know what? It is what it is. What can I do to help better, better other people's lives? Get out of your own head. If you get out of your own head and be of service to somebody else, you, you, yeah. you end up forgetting about your own, like your own woe is me kind of deal. And you're like, dude, what yeah. can I do to help out? You know, we're yeah. no better than anybody. You know, here's the deal. We are no better than the guy that sits in front of the liquor store, which he's there when I go, when I go shopping, I get my Gatorades and I get you know, whatever I get in the morning and, you know, our coffee, what I'm getting, I see the, the guy sitting there and I'm always giving him hope and strength and encouragement, you know, yeah. never give him money, but I'll go buy him a Gatorade and whatever else I'm getting. I'm mean, like, Hey, it's yeah. going to be a hot day today, bro. Just wanted you to have that or a girl or whatever. I've been cussed at, yeah. cursed at, spit at. I've been, you know, I've, I've bought lunch for somebody and they take the food and throw it back in my face. I've, I've had yeah. that, but it's okay. I mean, it's yeah. not, you know, it, it's okay. Like I said, yeah. we're no better than them. They're just unfortunately yeah. in a place where, you know, the mental health is taken over what right. that be from drugs or whatever, or alcohol, yeah. whatever it took, but it, it's cool. But as long as your heart yeah. is in the right place, don't be discouraged by that. You are going to get yelled at, spit at, cussed at people. Tell you yeah. Slade and I've had that about. happen several times as we're trying to give people food or help people. Um, Steve, I want to, I want to change, uh, the uh, the pace of this a little, meaning okay. I want to talk a little bit about um, how you how you got involved with HGTV. I, I, is am I correct that you actually reached out to HGTV on Facebook? Is that true? Yes, I'm a stalker. I'll admit it. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I mean what I love about this is I didn't know that that had happened. But what I love about this is that again, this is a testament to it doesn't matter what it is. Like you just you knew what you wanted and you went after it and you figured out a way to make it happen. And I love that, that like nothing stood in your way. You didn't, you didn't feel like, oh, I could never get to there because I was in prison and I was this and I was that. Like you just, you saw a vision and you knew you wanted to be successful in a space and you started to make it happen. So tell us about, about how you got involved with HGTV. Let me, let me, let me back up to a second when I ran away from home. I just want to get, I just want to cover this and how I got that mindset. I was 17 years old. I ran away from home. I started working at a used car lot on Beach Boulevard because I used to go test drive cars to go pick up my girlfriend because I didn't have a car. And <laughs> I remember this one guy in the lot, he gave me a job. 
He's like, dude, you, you don't, you don't got any money, dude. You're not going to test drive my car. I'm like, no, I, I do. And he's like, you don't have money, dude. So we became friends. I ended up calling him Uncle Ross. And I remember one time the auctioneer came down and he, and he looked at me and he goes, hey, do you got 20 bucks? And I go, yeah. He goes, give me 20 bucks. Give, give, just give me 20. And I remember going, oh, okay, sure. So I reached in my pocket and I gave him 20 bucks. And then he goes, okay, thank you. Turned his pocket, turned and walked away. And I'm like, hey, 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 dude, 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 dude. Hey, where's my 20 bucks? He goes, stops. He goes, what do you mean? Yeah, he goes, I go, hey, you asked to borrow 20 bucks. He goes, no. He goes, I asked you if you had 20 bucks and you said yes and you willfully gave it to me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess I did. He goes, here's your 20 bucks. I said, no, keep it. That was that 20 bucks is going to make me a millionaire one day. And I remember that yeah. and I took that mindset and here's the deal. You never get anything in life unless you ask for it. Right. So I remember watching the show, HGTV. I'm watching the show and I'm watching their fumbling contractor from season one, season one. And I remember just looking at his work and I, and I was already flipping homes. I was doing it part-time and I had a couple of guys working with me and I'm like, I could, you know, I could do this, you know? Um, and I started blowing up from the uh, recession. I mean, starting to flip homes for banks and I was doing a bunch of stuff. So I was getting, I was growing rapidly in the recession. And um, I, I went on Facebook, found their Facebook page, messaged them within five minutes. I still think it was Christina. Tark doesn't admit to, to um, emailing me back. I think it was Christina. And they said, oh my God, we've seen, we know who you have heard your name and we've seen some of your work. We'd love to meet with you. And so I'm like, cool. When do you want to meet? And they're like, tomorrow. We're going to, we have this house we just bought. We'll meet you in Westminster. So I remember going to this gated community and I, my truck and, um, and then Tarek and Pete pull up. Pete is Tarek's partner, the money guy. Um, and him and I are like oil and water, by the way. But anyway, long story. Um, <laughs> yes, he'll admit it too. Uh, so Tarek, he, we walk in the house and he's like, what would you do? I said, well, I do this. And this. Ah, I gave him the whole schmear. And he was like, okay, here's your budget. You have like 30 grand or four, whatever he gave me. He said, this is what I have for this house. You do it. How long will it take you? I said, two weeks. So I did it all. He comes back and then he, he loved my work. And he goes, Hey, by the way, he goes, I need a contractor for TV. Can you fill in? Can you do it for me? Just maybe one episode. I go, uh, sure. Why not? And he goes, okay. I go, when he goes tomorrow, I need you filming. Wow. HGP is going to reach out to you, get all the documents signed. And then we'll need you. We'll need you on set tomorrow at this house. So that's where I started. Wow. I started filming the next day and um, I, I coined phrased a thing where like this deck we had, it was outside and I coined, what do you call it? A, my Mr. Word slate. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I coined a phrase. I said, the termites no, that's are holding right. hands. You coined a phrase. They, yeah. The term, literally this thing was so bad. I'm like, dude, termites are holding hands to hold this together. <laughs> um, and I guess that was really well liked. And so they liked me and they said, Hey, we would like to have you on for other episodes. Wow. So I agreed to come on, but not as the only contractor, because it was just like, I had a business running and I was doing other things. So I did, you know, like in season two, I did one season three, like seven. And I did another like 10 on the other one. I did like total of 20. I don't know how remember how many I did for him, but I did so many of moth camera for him as well. Yeah. So I did, um, I did a bunch. I mean, we just, we just kept going. I mean, I, we would be like, he knew 
design's always been kind of my forte anyway. So he was like, Oh, look at that big word. Look at that. Slate. Yeah, forte. Forte. <laughs> forte. That's right. That's going it's, with the book. Maybe a block. little French word. So, forte, Steve, huh? so Steve, now today, um, tell yes. us a little bit about what your business is today, the name of your business and like what it is that you do. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what could you do and help them with? Um, well, I, I have a new business. I started in, I, was mainly working in Nevada during when I sold my company in 2016. I was I was on a non-compete for two years. So I couldn't really do I could consult here, but um I started Steve Cedarquist Designs mm -hmm. and I was able to do a, a lot of house flipping in northern Nevada. And then when my time was up, I came back out here and I started back to doing what I do best. And I started doing uh, design for homes and flipping homes, helping first-time flippers helping in, but people that it's a tough racket. You really got to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I met, uh, met a lady today and she was like, I don't know what to do. I said, well, let's, let me help you. I mean, I can either be a consultant for you. I can be your contractor. I can be your financial partner on this house, whatever you want. I'm able to do whatever. And so that's what I do. I try to be a little bit more of a, uh, you know, just to help her. Yeah. So you can do everything basically now from the construction to the interior design to you know landscape to it's all of that like concrete you, to candlesticks Gretchen. yeah like you you really the steve cedarquist designs is the whole gamut of everything you're not just you know pigeonholed into one one sector of it now which is really cool and you guys we have seen steve's work firsthand we've gone to many of his projects and his work is so beautiful so well done so well thought out he comes up with very unique different looks and styles that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of so he just has some really really great um visions and you know designs that that well i love his studio too we you know we because because gretchen's you know gretchen's, gretchen has dabbled in the design space for quite mm -hmm. some time as you know steve and mm -hmm. she was talking about that how much she loved your showroom thank you because her and randy had that opportunity to come to the showroom and kind of work on that project they had so mm -hmm. yeah it's a beautiful showroom so anyone looking for ideas that that want to see samples of tiles and flooring and all those things his showroom you know offers that yeah, very so. true. And okay, so here's what I want to do, Steve, here at the end for any of our listeners that are are interested in home design and all of that kind of stuff. I want to do kind of a quick question uh, round with you and you give us just a couple quick, simple answers on these. Um, so, okay, so let's start with this. How does one determine their personal home style? What would you say is a good way for them to, you know, take a temperature on their personal home style? Is this design advice from Steve? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like a quick round of design oh, advice from Steve. Well, first, you got to come back over to the house that I just finished, the one over here in Costa Mesa that I actually live in now. And uh, you, you got to check that out. Yeah. I mean, the style that I did and everything like that. And how I do it is it's really unique where, like, I get, I probably get five, six phone calls a month from people that want me to do their jobs. I have to meet with them first, kind of find out their mindset, find out if they're really engaged. I want to deal with people that are engaged. I think that it's 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 huge for me. I want to know that they're vested in, in, in totally committed to doing a remodel and what they're doing. So what I ask them first to kind of gauge where they're at, I'm like, do you, where, where, what kind of, what do you like? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I like everything we see on Chip and Joe. And I said, great. Are you, have you started your pin board on Pinterest? Mm -hmm. They're like, well, no, we haven't. I go, there you go. Start there, get a pin board, start sending me stuff. Send me your pin boards. Mm. Send me where you're at. So when we meet, 
and I come to your house, I have a general idea of kind of your style, what you want. Right. And so when I get there, it's not like, what are we doing? Right. We're, we're, you know, I mean, I have my ideas, of course, but I want to know what they want. Yeah. And so like the clients that I work with today, like I have an amazing clients right now. I'm doing a, a pro fighter's house, you know, um, and just Rafael DeSantos, uh, he said I could use his name, you know, MMA world champion, you know, and I'm starting on his house. But I love working with him and Chris, his wife. You know, he's training for a fight. And but we have a good relationship where it's like, you know, I'll tell him, I'm like, hey, dude, you need to go win another fight to afford me. So um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's we have fun with it, too. You got to have fun and, and yeah. be engaged and, and, and make it a fun experience. Yeah. So, so what would you say today's trends, what's today's trends that will still look cool a decade from now? You know, that's hard to say. I think sticking to it, if you, uh, I, that's one of the questions I ask people, like, is this your forever home or is this your five-year home or what, what's the plan? And they said, well, we plan on selling it within five years. I go, okay, so we put some cool touches in it, but we have a traditional, we kind of do some traditional things with upgrades, but keep it more traditional because that way it stands the test of time. You know what I mean? If you want to get all trendy, if that's what you want, like if you're going to flip the house, you want to go with all current trends, which is white, black, you know, a lot of blacks, a lot of whites, right? You know, cool mm-hmm. colors, you know what I mean? Yeah. That are yeah. just And do some really cool stuff. So would you say that would be key? Like if you wanted to boost the value of your home, that's what you would suggest is, is being kind of on trend with uh, like the color scheme? Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to, it's, it's a house you're trying to sell. I work with... Um, it's funny because we, we just got down with a house in Dover Shores where it was, had no curb appeal. And at first they were like, oh, we just like, I'm like, and I'm just saying, look, can I be candid? And they're like, yeah. And I go, the house is ugly. So <laughs> let's get yourself out. That's so Steve. Note to, note to self, don't say that to somebody when they show you their baby though. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can't say that when somebody's like, look at my baby. You're you know like, what's so funny? Oh, is I, kind of, I feel like ugly. Steve might actually say that. I know. That's, yeah, the, that's why I yeah. say that. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. You have a very ugly child. <laughs> my God, that's an ugly child. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, funny. it's like, you got to have, and I don't care if they want to use me, don't use me. I don't, it doesn't matter. I yeah. like giving people advice and, and I, you know, I've been, it's so funny because I've driven by houses that I didn't get the job and I've come by, they did exactly what I told them. And that's fine. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, they listen, but I think you, you curb appeal is huge. Spend the money on the curb appeal, the master bedroom and the kitchen mm. and don't have a cluttered house. If you want to sell your house, get rid of your crap. I mean, it's just like, you make your house look bigger. Yeah. When I come to you or your real estate agent comes to you and says, Hey, maybe, maybe it'd be a good idea. Maybe we should stage your home. Let's get rid of some of your personal things. I know they're amazing, but let's, let's maybe let's stage it. And then, then if they're open to that, that's, that's when we can have a little freedom to kind of like, look, we can make you an extra 40 or $50,000 in your home or more Right. worth the capital investment of $10,000, whatever you're going to spend, clean it up, make it look good, declutter. Let's see what we can do. Let's move this house. I love it. That's all such great advice. And you definitely know what you're doing. Um, I've seen, like I said, we've seen your work. It's so beautiful. And, and that's just, you know, a little taste of what he knows in the, 
you know, advice and, and the design space and the design space well, of what aren't he can we do. Are we sucking up? You. We're sucking up to Steve right now to come do some stuff for us. Right? Well, here's the thing. So, um, the problem is, is that Slade and I have talked several times about wanting to sell our house, but we <laughs> would epically fail with get rid of your shit because our entire living room is now the playroom for Skylar Gray. <laughs> so, I have no idea how we would ever even attempt to sell our house because there is so much stuff. Like we, you know, Steve, we now need a bigger house because. We just need a playroom for all of Skylar's toys because we don't have a big room just for Sky. And Steve's going to have to come build an addition. But when you have a baby, it's insane how much stuff a little baby needs. Like, it's crazy to me. So I, I don't even know how we would sell the house. <laughs> well, Steve just, could sell the house. The question is, is can he find us a piece of property and build us the new one? Yeah. that You know the piece of property I want, Steve. You know. I want that. I, I want that piece of land. I'm. I'm. I'm manifesting, manifesting it. it. I have it on my Pinterest board in my house. <laughs> it's like that's it. I'm I mean, manifesting you know it. You have to. Uh, you have to. You have to think it into and pray it into existence. Amen. You know, Amen. And it'll come to you. You know. I mean, it's. It's. It, you'll be careful what you wish for. You, you'll get it. I know. You know. But yeah. When it comes to your. Yeah. What we need. To, yeah. We'll have that conversation when we. When you find that property available, then it, we're going to have a real come to Jesus moment. And, <laughs> You're going to be getting rid of some stuff. <laughs> I know. Exactly. So, Steve, tell tell um, tell everyone where people can find you on social media. Um, just It's really hard. It's just my name. <laughs> Steve Cedarquist um, on Facebook or Instagram. Um, on Twitter, it's Cedarquist Steve. Somebody already had my name. Damn them. But uh, <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's really easy. Just, you know, like, uh, just go to follow me on um, Instagram and you can see all my fun, interesting and reach out to me. You know, I don't feel that you, I, I'm, trust me, I got people that I, my number's public. I don't care. Call me, text me, oh. um, and reach out to me, email me, message me, whatever. I will get back with you. I will call you or I will text you back. I will, if you have somebody going through something, talk to me. Tell me what's up. And, and he means that. Yeah. You guys, do. he does mean that because he literally... He's just there to help anybody and everybody. And that's what we love about him. He just has such a big heart. Steve, we're so excited for you and your new Thank book, you. Get Out Alive. Where can people find your book? You know, my book is on special right now with Amazon. If you want to buy the Kindle version, I've got it for 99 cents, actually, because I'm trying to get the book in everybody's hand. Um, you can go to Amazon, look me up under Steve Cedarquist or Get Out Alive. And it's on there. And um, I, like I said, I, I want to get, I'm not looking to, you know, this isn't a profit thing for me. Mm. I'm trying to get people's hands because I want to change lives. I love that. I love that. Well, Steve, we can't say thank you enough for coming on here today, sharing your very personal and intimate story of, you know, just getting out from under the crap in life and really turning your life around. And we're so happy for you and all your amazing success. Uh, be sure to check out Steve Cedarquist on Instagram. Uh, call him up for any of your design decor needs and be sure to get his book called Get Out Alive. We love you, Steve. Thank you so much for joining you, us today. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, man. Have a good all day. All right. Talk to you Bye soon. Love. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wasn't that awesome? Wow. It's like there's so much, there's so much there. I know could, there's you, just a lot. And we could have probably talked to him for another hour and a half. Yeah. Literally. I, I mean, my, maybe like a couple hours because there, there's so much in depth of that story. Um, but but that's, that's why I want to drive people to really take a look at the book, take advantage of this special that he's offering up because yeah. it, it's on multiple platforms. If you look at the reviews that were done, there's some pretty substantial people that have reviewed this book who everyone will know wow. um, and have really given him some props because – 
very few people, I think, really come from that place of I'm being so honest and open about the destruction I caused mm-hmm. because of the drugs and the alcohol and this path I went down to really just wanting to help everyone. And well, so that's, it's, that's it's an amazing. What, it's an amazing book. You know, I got a chance to see the rough. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, but that's what I love about it. I mean, I love that he's like, look, I'm doing it for 99 cents. Like, this isn't a profit. Like, he doesn't need the money. We know him. No, you know? he doesn't he, need the money. He does very well for himself. He doesn't need the money. But he is taking the time to create this book and to create and share his story so that hopefully he can, you know, enact real change in people and and give people hope that really of going through this, whether you um, are struggling with addiction or whether you're struggling with whatever is that you feel like you've hit rock bottom in your life, his story is a testament to you can come out alive and you can get to the other side. And yeah, is it going to be hard? Is it going to be tough? Are you going to struggle? Are you going to be angry? Are you going to feel like there's no, you know, pot at the end of the rainbow? Yes. But trust me, it can happen. And again, Steve was, was, the reason that my family member is sober and alive and well today. today. And not he just your is. family member, by the way. We've got close friends who have other family members dealing with addiction. Steve jumped right in. Yeah. He jumped right That's in. Right. We've made That's the introduction. Right. He's gone out of his way to go yeah. visit those people. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are juveniles. Go yeah. see these juveniles at Juvenile yeah. Hall, have that conversation with them, you know, yeah. become a mentor, a sponsor, you know, get them out of their situation. And he yeah. does all of that on top of his incredibly busy schedule. Right. And so, so and he means that. Reach out to him. If any of you out there are struggling or know somebody's yep. struggling, please reach out to him. Reach he really out to does him. want to help. So. And it, it makes me sit here and think about the question of the day. Oh, okay. And Let's to me, it's really, really simple. Yeah. Are you willing? If you are an individual who's struggling with depression, despair, you think there's no hope left in your life, or if you know someone, family member, friend, who's at that point in their life, are you willing to spend 99 cents Mm. to acquire something that could inspire you or educate you to make an impactful change and really change your future for the the good? Because that's literally what can happen by someone taking the time to go through this book. And the fact that he's offering it for 99 cents, I think is incredible. 99 cents can change your life. Amen. I love it. All right, you guys. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of Not Too Taboo. Be sure to subscribe, download, and listen to our podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Love you guys. Bye, guys. Oh, we got a clap. Yeah. We got the audience. They like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I just snorted. <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs>